welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters Podcast. I'm David Schuster, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by Cody Westerlind, the sports editor at 670thescore.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Cody Westerlind. And this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Round two is no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from the contenders. Get some skin in the game with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They are offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. And the best part is that it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app. Go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. All right, and we are joined right now by Cody Westerland, who uh, I had the pleasure of working with for a long time covering Bulls, and he's a basketball junkie much like myself. And and Cody, the Bulls do finish the season at 31-41. and 41. Unfortunately, they finish 11th in a 10-team race, in essence, to try and get into the playoffs. You know, in general, before we get into any specifics, what was your overall opinion of what you saw up close or as up close as, as you could, uh, a lot of it via Zoom, of course, too. But what were your opinions on the Bulls season? Yeah, I think from a team perspective, it it was disappointing because this Bulls team not only set a goal of reaching the playoffs and the expanded play-in, and when they talk about playoffs, you never knew if they meant top 10, top 8, you know exactly. But uh, it was no doubt being in the top 10 was important to these players. Billy Donovan would stop short of that. And he wouldn't quite set that like he was appreciative to hear that from his players, but he wasn't going to put himself exactly on the record as holding himself and his team in year one in an organization he didn't know much about right away. Didn't want to kind of oversell anything. But when you trade for Nikola Vucevic at the deadline, like that's to get in the playoffs. That's not just to get in the top 10. That was to get into the top eight and experience um, a big postseason setting uh, and see how you can uh just evolved from there. So disappointing from a team perspective, there's a lot of reasons for that that we can certainly get in. But I think more than anything, um, from an individual perspective, you have to like a lot of what you saw when you're just assessing some of the pieces because of Zach Levine's ascension. I thought Patrick Williams obviously disappeared for long stretches. But like when you look at did you draft the right guy with talent at number four overall and what many people considered a three-player draft, it does seem to me like the Bulls did a good job uh, in that sense, and a lot of potential for him. Now, how quickly he develops is going to be another thing um, that affects their future. But I thought with individual pieces, I, I thought there was a lot to like. But this is a team that still just they can't get it together, it seems like, um, from an overall cohesion standpoint. All right, you mentioned Arturis Karnishevis and what he did at the trading deadline. And let's face it, it was a big swing on his part, a gamble, um, you know, acquiring uh, Vucevic from Orlando. A heavy cost, though. And, and Wendell Carter... I was more than okay with 
I, I wish him the best, but he was never really going to pan out, and he won't pan out, in my estimation, down in Orlando either. But the two first-round picks potentially could really come back and bite the Bulls. We'll see what happens in the upcoming draft lottery. It didn't pan out for this season as far as getting into the playoffs, but do you still see it as being a good gamble on his part going forward? I mean, he's got a mix, meaning Vucevic, along with Zach Levine, and they're going to have to add some pieces. But now at least they have an all-star center, and he's got some warts also in his game. We could talk about that too. But do you, do you still think it was a good gamble on his part even going forward? I don't. I, I understand why they did it, um, and I understand the vision. I wouldn't have done it, though, so I don't think I can answer anything besides that. And a big reason for that, too, in my opinion, is you don't just assess where your own organization is. I think you have to assess where the rest of your conference is. And where the rest of the East right now is, we know the window for Brooklyn is two, three, four years of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, right? And they're going to be monsters in those few years. And if the goal is to build a championship team um, and just get an influx of talent and grow together, I thought it would have been better to, to keep the draft pick in an excellent draft. And look, the Bulls could still get lucky. I think they got a 20.3% chance exactly to get lucky and land in the top four, uh, 4.5% chance or so to get that number one overall pick. So maybe lottery luck um, completely changes their outlook. But uh, this is still a draft that you were probably going to be able to get a good player at number seven or eight, um, nine, which is where the Bulls probably would have landed here uh, in this draft. And they'll probably convey to the magic. But I just thought like this Bulls team could have – I know it's so hard to go down the tanking route when you've seen an organization already purposely tank for three years. But to me, this team is still just building around Vucevic and Zach Levine because of their defensive deficiencies. Um, I think they're still just building a first round playoff exit. You know what I mean? Like the, the ceiling here in the next couple of years to me is conference semifinals for this organization because of where the East is at with the Nets the 76ers and the Bucks and Giannis locked in for a long time in Milwaukee and Drew Holiday looks fantastic um, for them early on in this playoff settings and has just fit in so well with them. So like to me, it doesn't feel like the opportunity was there for the taking to do this yet. I would have built more around Pat Williams perhaps or kept that option open by adding another really good young player um, on his timeline and that doesn't mean you had to trade Zach Levine. That doesn't mean you couldn't keep aiming big around him here in the near future. But to me, it, it seems like they're building a 48-win team that's not going to go anywhere. And again, I totally get it because AK, I mean, you look at, he comes from Denver. I mean, he's trying to do kind of the same thing there. A great playmaker in the backcourt, Jamal Murray. And then Nikola Vucevic is no, no Jokic, certainly. He doesn't have those passing skills and MVP caliber play but like he's a really good consistent center and I think there was a shakeup. I like the Daniel Tice trade I like the Troy Brown Jr. trade shaking the roster up I don't think I would have made the massive one though yet um, because the NBA is it's not a place where all-star centers who are the 22nd or 26th best player in the NBA elevate you uh, it's, it's a league where top 10 and top 12 talent to me elevates you you know, obviously, a big part of the trade here is is the two-man game, and it's not a two-man sport, but a two-man game a lot of times is part of the NBA. And Vucevic and Levine 
when they were both clicking, you saw at least the potential. They, they didn't play that much together because Levine, unfortunately, got COVID towards the end of the season, and he missed, I don't know how many games it was, eight, nine, ten games, whatever it was. But can you see as they these two grow and work together more so, and they only had one practice, as we well know, after the trade, um, can you see them potentially getting better and better and, and, and their game gelling the Bulls to be a better team uh, overall? Absolutely. And I mean, what Vucevic does, right, is he takes the pressure off Zach. He takes the pressure off um, Kobe White. Like, as Zach was just fantastic from an efficiency standpoint, he's fantastic all year. But when you're Zach Levine and the number two scorer on your team is Kobe White or inconsistent Lowry Markinen, Zach Levine couldn't have an off night. He can have an off night or a slow night now, and the Bulls still be fine. And I think there's no doubt their rhythm's going to get a lot better with the training camp, with an offseason, um, with probably a set of preseason games next year rolling into the regular season. So this is going to look, I think, a lot better for the Bulls next year um, than it did in this disjointed end of the year. Like, you're adding Nikola Vucevic. Like, that's not exactly just like adding a spot-up shooter, right? Billy Donovan pointed this out a lot. They weren't adding a 3 and D guy or a number three option on offense or four or someone as a role player sliding in, like they had to rebuild what they, what they did and what they wanted to do. And I think you saw glimpses of it. And I think the best part about the Vucevic trade to me actually was the effect it had on Kobe white, right? Like he looked lost early in the year, kind of mid season when he was playing point guard and being asked to probably create too much off the dribble, set up and facilitate too much for other people. He lost his starting job at one point. Um, to Tomas Sadoransky, and for good reasons. He was just inconsistent and not bringing it. Kobe kept working really hard, and he played a lot better um, with Vooch on the floor because he could spot up and shoot more. He could be a number three option. Like, he got a lot of confidence, and I think that might be more important than anything um, in the trade uh, when when we look back on it because Zach Levine, can, he can still be kind of the same person, you know, like – They'll have some two-man game together. Zach can still go um, freestyle if he wants, go one-on-one and use those talents. But, like, Kobe White is a lot better when others are kind of facilitating or giving him opportunity, whether it's a spot-up shooting or if he has a one-step head start. Like, he doesn't see the game at, like, a Chris Paul level, but, like, if Kobe has an advantage on one guy, he's good at getting in the paint and making the right pass. But when you're asking him to do that from from step A to all the way through Z, that's a little more difficult for him. So I thought that was probably the most promising thing. And I do think uh, it will be better for, for them next year, no doubt. And you look at it, I, I think the other thing, too, like AK pointed this out in his end of season presser, like their defense was actually pretty good for like the last four or five weeks or so, the Bulls. And they finished respectably in the NBA in defensive efficiency, like between I think 11, 12, somewhere by the end, kind of in the mix of a lot of teams that were slightly better than average. Um, and it was the offense that was the problem. So, like, when offense is your problem and you have Zach Levine and Vucevic and Kobe White, like, I think that's easier to fix probably. Um, in, in the final Zoom press conference, <clears throat> excuse me, the final Zoom press conferences, Zach Levine was asked about his contract. Everybody knew that question was going to be posed to him. And he wasn't too shy in saying that he'll get his. And, and that means that he's going to be looking, at least to me, you know, for the max kind of deal. Are the Bulls going to be willing to do that in this offseason? Can they, pun intended, afford to do that in this offseason? I don't think they can afford to do it um, from the standpoint of doing that would prevent them from adding other people that they need to reinforce their roster with um, in various ways. Because to extend Zach Levine after those comments he made, clearly he needs more money annually at a higher rate 
So to extend it, they would need to open up cap space to do that. So if you open up 10, 12, 15 million dollars of cap space to add to Zach Levine's contract, well, that's a role player you're not getting, right? Like that's maybe a starting caliber player you might not be getting. Uh, so I think they need to focus on just fortifying this team around Zach Levine more um, and, and maybe adding some people. And I think, I mean, the Bulls have a decision to make in free agency. Do they open up a bunch of cap space by letting like Lowry marketing go, uh, renouncing his rights, letting him completely walk, letting Daniel Tice walk, possibly trading Thad Young. You could stretch um, Al Farouk Aminu's contract to clear like $7 million. They have all these different options that they can do um, to open up cap space. But if they do that, like, then they lose all these guys that were like contributors for him, right? Like Daniel Tice matters, Thad Young, Thomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple. All these guys mattered um, for the Bulls when they were playing well. And if they were properly positioned, like when Garrett Temple is your eighth or ninth man on your team, instead of like your number five guy, your, your last starter, like when he's in the proper role, you're okay. And they're going to have to make that decision. I don't think Zach Levine's contract um, – is, is going to be in the picture this offseason. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but I just think it'd be smarter to uh, try to win at a higher level. Like, get to the playoffs um, next year if you're the Bulls and prove to Zach Levine that, like, you can win at a higher level. And I think the way the Bulls have treated him, how much he loves the city, and the fact that they'll be able to offer him um, just as much money, even more than other teams with, with his bird rights here in Chicago, like, he'll probably resign the next time on a max deal. So um, I would... I would focus on being as good as you can be next year because you already went down that um, road when you acquired Nikola Vucevic. All right, you mentioned both Markkanen and Tice, so I'll combine those two names into one question. I actually liked when Tice was on the on the floor with um, with Vucevic because he's sort of like his complement. I mean, Vucevic's uh, weakness is is Tice's strength, meaning defense and and protecting the rim, yada yada. Um, Markkanen. I mean, I think I think uh, I think the handwriting was on the wall even before the season started. To be honest with you, when they didn't give him the the new contract money then, and then ultimately he went from the starting lineup to to the bench, um, and and I wouldn't say he pouted, but he didn't really handle it as well as potentially he could have overall. I don't know. To, the, the handwriting was on the wall, so there's a way of saving some money by renouncing him completely there. Maybe bringing back Tice, even though he's not the offensive player overall that Markkinen is. I think that he leads more to wins um, on this roster than maybe Markkinen does. A am I reading this wrong? No, I'm with you. They got to let Larry Markkinen go. The best case scenario for the Bulls, and this is going to be difficult to pull off, is someone out there in the NBA wants him enough that they're willing to sign and trade for him rather than risk the Bulls matching or another team swooping in with a better offer, right? So, like, I just – I think that's difficult. We've seen Larry Markman tied to the Mavericks um, in free agency, and the Bulls would hope to get something out of that. For the Bulls' sake, again, like, they need players, right? They don't need to accumulate second-round draft picks right now in exchange for Larry Markman, and even though that might be the most likely thing they get back in a sign-and-trade if someone really wants him, um, they need to try to accumulate players who they can put in their rotation – but I just I don't see a natural fit yet. Uh, I haven't assessed every roster in the NBA either. But like, I mean, it, it feels like we've seen Larry Markkinen tied to the to the Mavericks, that the Spurs have been brought up as a potential fit um, for him, too, just because they have cap space. And they're kind of in the Spurs are kind of in a, a weird setting and that they're still competitive, but not good, but got like a mix of veterans and young guys. So it seems like a reclamation project of sorts who's young, who could 
um, fit in their system. And Markkinen certainly feels like he, he should be able to, with his ability to stretch the floor, fit anywhere really in the NBA. In theory, he's got to do it in practice. And the next team always thinks they can turn him around. But um, you look at these, there's not natural fits in these sign and trades for a lot of them. Obviously, the Bulls would have moved mountains if they could have signed and trade Larry Markkinen for, for Lonzo Ball at the last trade deadline. Um, when they did land Booch, obviously in a different deal, but um, it, it's just not going to be easy. And I think it might just end up with them letting him walk for nothing because these teams, like the, the Bulls can't bluff. You know what I mean? Like AK can say what he wants at a season ending press conference, but you benched him, right? Like he was, he is essentially your number four big man in the rotation. So um, you were playing small forward for long stretches. So everyone knows the Bulls don't value Lowry Markinen, they're not scared of the Bulls matching some offer as long as it's a halfway decent offer for Markinen. So I see this ending in him either walking um, from the Bulls for, for nothing or, or maybe a, a small item back like a second round draft pick if someone really wants him or something. All right, let's talk about Patrick Williams again, the number four pick. And at times we, we saw his potential and we always have to keep in mind He's still a teenager. I think even as we were doing this podcast, I think he's still only 19 years old, second youngest player in the league this season. So you really have to take that into account. Overall, nine points, five rebounds, 48% from the floor, 39 from three. He still has a funky shot that I think will get better in time. In uh, over 28 minutes, those were his numbers. But, uh, you know, the knock against him, and, and you didn't have to be a, an NBA savant to see that, too many times he was not aggressive and he deferred to others. And I think that's part of his DNA. And that's how he was in his one year at Florida State. He deferred to the older players there. He's doing it here. You heard from Thad Young to Billy Donovan to everybody in between saying he's got the potential. He just needs to take over. And then even in his final Zoom press conference, he said, I know I could be a great player. I want to be a great player. Can he, Cody? And can he possibly become more aggressive? because it's not part of his DNA. Great great is a, a stretch for me at this point. He, he can certainly be a very good two-way player. Um, and again, I, I liked the pick when you look back at the end of the year. The Bulls were in a tough spot, number four, from, from the sense of like, who do you take when the first top three are obvious? And I, I do think right now it's fine that they made a good decision. And you saw his potential in a late season game when they scratched Zach Levine and they're playing the Nets. I think Pat Williams had like 24 points or so. And you saw that aggressiveness. So it's there in him. Um, the, the step to great is a lot to ask, um, in my opinion, unless the Bulls get honest with themselves with him. He, he played a lot of small forward. He also played some power forward. Uh, they, they build him as positionless, right? Like, dating back to draft night like i i asked it i think sam smith asked it like seven times over the course of the season like what position is he what position do you want to play what do you consider yourself pat williams is like ah whatever you know and the bulls were always like oh he's whatever we need him to be he can do everything no he can't he, he had 99 assists and 98 turnovers this year and ak spent the entire draft night talking about how great of a passer he was and how he had point guard skills dating back to high school okay he had those in high school he does not have those yet at the NBA level. He does not see the floor that well. The game moves too fast, and that's because he's 19. So what the Bulls need to do is plug him in at power forward, I think, of the future. And I don't know that that's the role he ends up playing next year the most because, again, they could bring Tice back. 
Thad Young's still under contract, and we know Vooch is the center. But eventually, to me, he's a power forward of the modern NBA. And everything the Bulls need to do long-term with his development in mind is keeping that in mind that that's probably where he's going to be the best, in my opinion, um, where he can make the biggest difference. Because, look, he can still he can still add some weight. He, he can get stronger, and, like, he's got good athleticism. Like, he's going, his frame's going to fill out, and he's already good size and everything. So I think that's what they need to keep in mind. And then, like, those passing skills, like, sometimes he's just being asked to do too much at small forward, too, for a rookie, you know? Like, there are a lot of reads in the game. It's different when you're on the wing or on a perimeter spot, and that's not to say that he won't end up on the perimeter a lot when you're playing power forward in the modern NBA. It's four out, one in sometimes. Sometimes it's five out, you know what I mean? So um, it just – there are different responsibilities in the system in that, whether you're a post player or more of a wing player at times in the reads you make. So uh, I like him a lot. I think that he's got some good defensive instincts. He, he got torched a lot by some superstars and he got billed as a great defender and he learns a lot on that. Well, he still got torched too, but like, I liked a lot of things too, how he grew off the ball in his defense. Like there were a lot of reads early in the year. He missed defensively where he should be. And at the end of the year, like he was making some off ball plays or rotating the right spots and getting his hands in passing lanes. You're like, wow, he's learning and growing. So I think like, that he's got a good mindset. He seems smart. He seems to learn from his mistakes. And those are the things you should like a lot. I do agree. He's got a lot of potential. I just, I think the bulls need to focus a little bit more on what he's going to be and, and not, not ask him to do too much at times, even though it seems to us like he didn't do enough, right? Like maybe they were overloading him a little bit. And you mentioned, I think what 39% on threes is a solid number. And I think he was a lot better too on corner threes, which, um, it is great because that gives you a spot in the offense where you can kind of operate from at, at some points. And then when you learn to shoot um, and go off the, or shot fake and go off the dribble a little bit more, you, you can be more of a difference maker too. So uh, I would be enthused by him. I, I would, but I would just also temper expectations a little bit. Cause like it, it just seems like, like when you look at the fan base, right? Shoe, like it feels like some people are like, Oh, he's going to be a superstar. And others are like, Oh, he does nothing. He scored seven points and did nothing in this game. Like it's a really wide, vast set of opinions. Yeah, I have a friend who thinks he's a complete bust, and I keep reminding my friend, he's 19 years old. Give him so a young. effing break. You know, I think they might have almost, even though he he took all over any assignment that they gave him, but in back-to-back-to-back games, he, fit, he, he was guarding Giannis, LeBron, and Kawhi. And even though he, he relished the opportunity, I, I almost wonder if that was a little bit of a disservice to a 19-year-old kid to guard three of the best players in the world, two of the top five for sure, and, and, and Kawhi is right there as well. But all right, let's move on from him. Kobe White, you talked about him. I agree with you. He got much, much, much better as the season wore on, especially when Vukovic came, came over here. But I, I still submit, I said it last year, I'm going to say it again, he's not a point guard. And, and I think he's so invaluable on this roster, much like other people are around the league, as being a first guy off the bench, can score like no tomorrow, especially against second-team units, still can play his 30 to 35 potential minutes a game, score 20 points, and just you know be a Lou Williams, um, a Vinnie Johnson from the past, a Jamal Crawford. I still submit they need a point guard, and, and there's possibilities – I mean, you mentioned Lonzo Ball. I think that's, you know, decreasing as minutes go on. Goran Dragic, you know, would be a – if you could take about eight years off his chronological age, he'd be a perfect person being a free agent. Mike Conley's a free agent, but his contract is off the charts. So what are they going to do at that position? 
I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, I think they'll also make a push or take a look at Dennis Schroeder in free agency. Obviously, um, he's the Lakers are counting on him a lot, and he wants big money. I think there were reports out there that he kind of scoffed at four years, $80 million-ish range, wanting more, and that was, that's a case of, well, go prove it in the playoffs, you know. Um, and he had a really good game, too, for, for the Lakers in their win against the Suns after uh, I didn't see all of the game one, but I, I think he got outplayed a little bit in that one. But um, if he can prove himself in the playoffs, I think he puts himself on the Bulls' radar or map a little bit more in free agency because – to me, he would fit their age range. He's not hes not quite super traditional, like in the way of like a Chris Paul, obviously, who he's playing in round one. But yeah, he can he can fill the lead playmaking and, and ball handling role in a way that that Kobe White's not comfortable. And again, like this is why I thought like I love Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga in the draft. Like I just love him because he's such a to me a pure point guard um, pass first just so so ferocious on defense at the point of attack like a guy who's whose weaknesses and you know um they, they harped on him a little bit for his lack of shooting like it felt like to me grew a little bit as the season went on um when I watched him play and I I, I wanted the Bulls to, to have the best possible chance to nap him um because when you look at these free agent options in, in um the point guard scene it's it's a lot of big names, like you mentioned, like Kyle Lowry is going to be out there. Chris Paul could opt out of his contract with the Suns, even though that's a marriage that needs to keep going because it's best for both of them, obviously, where he wants to be on the West Coast. But like when these things happen, just someone like Lowry being on the market, Goran Dragic, I mean, I think he's got a team option and Giannis isn't on the market. So the Heat probably want to bring him back. You know what I mean? Um, but maybe they take a run at Kyle Lowry. And like you said, then Goran Dragic is a free agent. Um but like all these dominoes play out a little bit more um, that does give the Bulls uh, some opportunity, like teams that might want Lonzo Ball previously might end up with um, Dragic another way or something. So um, I do think they'll take a run at those names. Like I, I feel like Lonzo Ball and Dennis Schroeder are the, are the two names that are you're going to see the Bulls tied to the most because they fit the age range a little bit more of, of Zach Levine and some of these guys. But like, it would be really interesting if – I mean, I feel like Kyle Lowry just wants to compete for championships right now, and he's been tied to Philadelphia and Miami before. But, like, Mike Conley, you mentioned, like, if one of these really veteran point guards who wants $30 million a year, like, what do you do if you're the Bulls? Like, you need a point guard badly. You can open up the cap space to pretty much get there if you wanted to gut your roster, but then you have no depth. Like, should you do that? Like, that does make you better for next year in the playoffs, but – the same time, you lose a lot of depth, and those guys probably could be a little injury prone as the regular season goes. So, um, I would probably look at that, ignore those veteran point guards that are super high priced, and and look at that next tier below um, with guys that are a little younger. There is one veteran point guard whose price is not going to be that high. Surprisingly, I don't at least I don't think so. The ship has probably sailed, but I'll throw the name out there: Derek Rose, who's had a really good season when he's been healthy. And that's that's a big if, obviously, with him. Do you think there would be any consideration with with that name coming back? Uh, that's a great question that we probably should have asked AK by now, but he also would have declined comment for potential free free agents. Um, you know, I think yes, he's played himself back to a level where he would be a great addition for the Bulls. Yeah. So from a basketball standpoint, yes. Uh, the city still loves him. We know the Reinsdorf still love him as well, right? Like, so, like, all those things add up. I I don't know if 
AK well enough or Mark Eversley well enough or, or Billy Donovan, these guys behind the scenes to wonder if like, you know, we, we want younger guys. He, he's a little too old. We, we don't want like the pressure of him having to come back here. And then like us feeling like we have to play him or something X amount of minutes and stuff, even though like clearly in New York, he's been fine coming off the bench and been magnificent for, for Tibbs. So um, a, a guy like that, like the skill set that he brings, that's like what the Bulls should have done this past year, right? Like, there were endless number of veteran point guards available. You know what I mean? Like George Hill, like Ricky Rubio was available in trades, guys like this, like not guys that were going to drastically change the effect of your season, but guys whose price range was there that could have been minimal to to get them in a trade or something and just pay them a little bit of salary and use your cap space on them. Instead, the Bulls really did nothing. Like I just, I think a veteran presence like that, not saying that Rubio or George Hill was the guy it had to be, but, um, someone like that, a veteran point guard, just would have helped this team so much this entire past year. And I know, like, Sadoransky is supposed to be that a little bit, but, like, at the same time, like, we knew he he wasn't that traditional point guard after his first year already in Chicago. So um, I just thought they should have done a little bit more um, on, on that end. So, yeah, Derrick Rose, I, I think it would be fantastic to see, and I think he's proved so much that, yeah, he, he fits the bill. Um, like two years ago, it wouldn't have made as much sense, right? Just because he wasn't consistent enough night to night. But he's been, he's had a rebirth these last couple of years. Yeah, he's having, even having a good game tonight as we're recording this one as we speak. Um, one more on the Bulls before I ask you a couple of quick ones about the league itself. Um, you mentioned Karnishevis a couple of times. Unfortunately, I don't think you've met him in person. I know I haven't. But we've all talked to him or seen him on Zoom, you know, a handful of times during the season. Do you have a sense of who this man is? I mean, what what he's all about? What I mean, you know, I, I've been very close to John Paxson. I could almost tell you in advance some of the things he was going to do. Uh, Karnishevis certainly plays the role, no question. He's secretive. He won't tell you anything, at least on Zooms. Do you have Do you have a feel for him? Does anybody have a feel for him? No, I I don't. I I find him his press conferences to be really boring and nearly useless. I I mean, you got a lot. I mean, Pax was so much better for like usefulness, right? Like he would tell you like, we weren't tough at this position. Meanwhile, like, I mean, we remember the year where like Pax called out Fred Hoiberg and Jimmy Butler in the same end of season press conference, like in back to back questions, basically like Jimmy wasn't enough of a leader. Fred needs to grow as a coach. Here's the things they need to do. Like it, that was amazing. AK's out here telling us like, Lowry Markin is consistent night to night and everything that represents the organization. Like, don't even waste my time. You know, like we got to ask the question, but like Billy Donovan to me is more, um, more just not just useful in his answers, but feels to me to be a little bit more honest. Cause if you follow Billy closely, when you ask him about players who might be going through struggles, he almost does that, like say something nice, acknowledge the criticism and say how they need to improve what the weakness is, then say something nice again, right? Like, you know, start it nice, end it nice and acknowledge in the middle. So like he, he would go in depth, like Kobe White's not getting over these screens. He's not reading this off the top. We've talked about it. He's working on it. He knows it, but this is what he has to do to get better. And this is where he failed at times. Like Billy would, would talk that way at times with Kobe. And I think, before the Bulls traded Wendell Carter Jr., Billy wasn't as hard on Wendell Carter Jr. And you know why? Because Wendell Carter Jr. was so hard on himself. Billy didn't want to get him down more. But Kobe White can take that hard coaching, which is another thing that's really good for him. 
AK just doesn't say anything like that. Like, you know, like doesn't even acknowledge the fact that the Bulls had some weaknesses, even though they went 31 and 41. And he's coming, he's coming dangerously close in some of these press conferences to those old uh, John Paxson injury excuses. Like, I don't care that Zach Levine was out for three weeks with COVID. Like, you can't cite that as the reason you went 31 and 41 this whole year, you know? And like, those are some of the things he pointed to um, most immediately. So, I don't have a good read on him. I honestly think like Mark Eversley is going to, I think Mark Eversley, he's talked a couple of times to the media and he seems so, such a good communicator and um, so, so refreshing and genuine when he's talked. Like I think he's going to play a massive role in free agency recruitment for the Bulls because to me, he feels like just this, he feels like this meaningful presence for the organization and the few times we've talked to him and the few things I've heard um, people kind of say about him. Like he, he, he seems to be really different than AK to me in that way. Whereas AK is a little cold blooded and really private and secretive. And you need that in an organization for a lot of things. You don't need leaks. You don't need to be um, charting your, your moves for the world to see, but at some point too, you got to have that guy um, that, that's going to attract some people and um, just just tell people what they want to hear um, and how they fit in. And that's not to say AK can't, but I think I think Mark Eversley, there's a reason he's installed at that GM spot. And I think it's because he compliments AK pretty well in a different way. Um, and AK, I don't I don't have a read on what they're going to do. I mean, I I would have bet a thousand dollars by now. They would have at least done something to address the point guard position since the day they were hired. And they've done nothing. So, like, would have lost that bet already. And. If they don't do it this offseason, people should just riot. But I think that that <laughs> is going to be in the plans for, for AK and the Bulls this offseason somehow, um, addressing the point guard position like we talked about a little bit. And they might surprise us in a few other ways, too, um, because he, he's not afraid to make a big trade. And I think he will um, talk talk trades again this offseason, whether it's around the draft, sign and trade stuff. So uh, we'll see. He wants... I, I think that he and the Bulls still really love Lonzo Ball a lot. So I think that's going to heat back up again. So so when you say things that, that you predict, can you read them to maybe a small extent, but only because of stuff that's so obvious across the rest of the NBA, not because not AK seems to be giving away too much. I like Lonzo Ball also myself, but something tells me he, he likes playing in New Orleans and who would not want to play alongside Zion Williamson? So I don't think he's going anywhere. That's just my opinion. All right, two last questions um, outside from the Bulls, league-wide questions. And before I get your prediction, who I um, who you think is going to be in the NBA Finals, and I'll bet you'll agree with me, um, the league uh, liked the play-in system this year, wants to do it again next year, and they want to come up with a mid-season tournament, which I don't like. I do like the play-in. I think it was interesting. The midseason thing, I don't like at all. What are your thoughts on both those? Uh, I love the play-in tournament. Uh, I would be in support of a midseason tournament as well, under the condition that there's something involved other than just handing the players an extra $50,000, $100,000, half million dollars, whatever it is. Like that, There has to be some sort of incentive for fans to care. I think it could be a huge, huge flop if – you're just telling people like this Bulls Piston game is part of the midseason tournament. So it's a bigger deal on December 14th for this game than that game they played on November 15th wasn't as big of a deal. Like we, in America, we don't understand like the European soccer system, like where they're playing for so many things. And 
there's so much more at stake over there on some of their midseason um, uh, tournaments just because of relegation for, for some things or, or you're going for this trophy with a great tradition. Like the NBA doesn't have that um, and we're not used to that. So I think it could be a huge flop if they don't somehow attach something meaningful to it. So like playoff spot for the midseason tournament winner would probably seem to be a little bit too much probably, but I'm not against it. Like you got to do something to incentivize them. Uh, people have talked about draft um, lottery um, incentives in the sense that maybe if you win, you get more percentages, or maybe if you're a playoff team, you could throw someone in the lottery, even though like that seems outrageous too. And players don't want to play super hard to land the number two pick to draft their replacement, for example. But um, I don't know what it is about it that would attract fans because it's not going to be Adam Silver just saying, uh, this this Cavs Pacers game is a big one, and the players are going to make a little bit more money if they win the game. Fans don't care. Yeah, I'd have to hear much more of what the incentive is to even have this quote unquote midseason tournament. It just sort of reminds me on the collegiate level when they used to have uh, the midseason NIT tournament. I mean, who the heck cares about that? It means nothing. But uh, again, let it let it play out. Let's see what they're talking about. Um, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm predicting that it's going to be Brooklyn and the Lakers in the NBA Finals. And I'm, I'll be curious to see if you agree. I don't think the Lakers gave a hoot about the regular season. LeBron went down. They wanted to get him as close to 100%. Same thing with Anthony Davis. Same thing with Schrader also. Now they're back. Uh, they lost the first game. They're still a little rusty. But ultimately, I think they're going to knock off Phoenix. They're going to knock off Utah. They're going to knock off Denver. When you have two of the best five players in the world with enough of a supporting cast, I think they come out of the West. That's my opinion. And as far as the East, you know, and it's the same thing. Superstars rule the game. And and listen, Brooklyn planned all along to have the three superstars. And for the same uh, reasons that the Lakers didn't care about the regular season, you know, in the East, it didn't make as much difference because the East isn't as good as the West. But, you know, Durant didn't play for long stretches, Harden the same thing, and Kyrie Irving is, uh, is on Pluto. Um, but they're all back now. And I just think superstars win in, in the NBA. And so, therefore, I'm going to still pick the Lakers, no matter who they play, to win out in the West. And, and Brooklyn's ultimately going to prevail in the East. I wanted all year to pick against Brooklyn. Not because I dislike them or anything, but um, I, I didn't feel like the assumption should be that just because they have three stars, they're going to win it all. I, I thought there were some deficiencies they were going to have to overcome on the defensive end. I, I think they've proved a lot. KD is a magnificent defender, especially when he locks in in the playoffs. I, I can't pick against them the way the way they're playing. Um, they have gelled so well, even in limited time. Kyrie Irving has sacrificed. James Harden has been a facilitator and KD and Kyrie, when they play together, have, have both let him run the show, um, which is what that team team needed kind of from a point guard perspective. And, you know, the, the, the challenge, too, is like, are they that deep? Well, no, they're not as deep as maybe some other teams like the Utah Jazz, who have got one and two in the sixth man of the year voting. But this is a team that's got Claxton coming off the bench. Um, Bruce Brown has been really good for them and stuff like they're deep enough. You know what I mean? It's not like they're just five guys out there and a bunch of minimum, <coughs> excuse me, minimum contract guys or minimum salary guys that have no hope. Like this is a team that's awesome. Um, I do love what the Bucks have done this year and adding Drew Holiday. I think Nets Bucks in round two could be an all time great second round series conference semifinal series. It could go seven games, but at the end of it, uh, I would take Brooklyn over them um, in that sense. And, you know, 
the NBA too, like it's, it's a league where continuity in the regular season usually matters a ton, right? Like usually the one, two, three seeds have played the best basketball won the most games and, and go roll. But like LeBron's turned that on top upside down sometimes, you know, like he didn't care about the regular season in Cleveland sometimes too, you know, like the one and two seed might not have mattered to him. So um, same thing with you. Um, after watching the Lakers play well in game two and Anthony Davis step up the way he played, I think he had big night. I think he had 34 points or so hit that big late three. Like he looks like he's locked in again. Chris Paul's shoulder injury in that series makes it seem like um, what was going to be a really rough fight for, for the Lakers and struggle to get out of there. It seems like it opens it up for them, not just in round one, but like you, you got to like in round two, um, whether they play the Nuggets or Blazers, just they should be favored big over them. I think it would probably be a lot harder, honestly, if they had to play Luka Doncic in round two. You know what I mean? Um, with the way the Mavericks are rolling at this point. So um, I do. I like the Lakers, too. Um, and I would take the Nets over the Lakers. I I wish that I could pick something else to to be different because th- there were times that this season it felt like it would be. Um, and if Jamal Murray hadn't got injured, I had the Nuggets going to the finals um, out west. But that's just too much to overcome for them. I don't think the Jazz quite have enough um, to get by the Lakers um, by way of star power for the Jazz. And and like I said, I think the Lakers are going to get past this Suns team. And we see the Clippers are imploding right now. So it doesn't seem like they're going to be the team that beats the Lakers. You know, and, and if we both agree that it's going to be the Lakers and, and the Nets, from a Bulls standpoint, it's depressing. Because as you said earlier in the podcast here, Brooklyn's going to be intact for the next three to four to maybe five years. I don't see those guys going anywhere unless Kyrie Irving, like I said, just melts down. And 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 the Lakers, I mean, Anthony Davis is is still in the prime and will be for a while. And and you can say whatever you want about LeBron. He's just a freak of nature. And he'll probably play another three, four, five years. Plus, for whatever reason, they always seem LeBron always seems to find help somehow, some way. So from a bull, bull standpoint, it's depressing because no matter what they do. I don't think they get by either of those two teams. And if championships are what your goal and aim is, I don't think they have a chance. Yeah, I just I didn't see much opportunity in the East here in the next few years when you compare it to to the next stage after that. And the card that the Nets will still have to play to is even if there's friction and drama at some point. Um, they can trade Kyrie Irving. You know, they might not get a ton for Kyrie, but they can trade and add depth, and they are still a championship contender two or three years from now with LeBron, or excuse me, with KD um, and James Harden still at the back end of their primes and with a little bit more depth. And that's still in that window of the Bulls adding Nikola Vucevic, obviously, and trying to do something now. And you, good should never be the enemy of great, right? Or great should never be the enemy of good. I guess if I mess that um, saying up, like the Bulls can't compete for a championship until they get better and make the playoffs. So I do get that. I just, I would have taken a little bit longer of a timeline because I don't see the opportunity as much in these next couple of years um, in a really strong Eastern conference. And just, it, Vooch and Zach are going to get better, but you are always starting from behind as an organization to compete at the highest level when you have two guys who, who are minuses on the defensive end. And that's just, that's the way it is. And if you're not James Harden, like basically a top three MVP ballot finisher almost every single year when he's not pouting in Houston, like you have to, you have to bring a little bit more on both ends of the floor. And I don't think the Bulls quite have enough of that from a starting point. And that's why I think it's going to be 
difficult here to, to get to some of their goals for the next three years outside of, you know, make the playoffs next year. And I mean, their, their feet are going to be the fire a little bit on that, you know, like it, it could not possibly the first year you have three years of Vucevic under contract, right? This was the year one. I know it was a third of a year or whatever, but couldn't have gone worse. Like um, the only way it's going to go worse is if the bulls do cough up that draft pick and there's an 80% chance that happens. So considering how poorly it has gone year one, I, I think um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this bulls team to make the playoffs in year two of, of the Vuce era of, of the Billy Donovan era. Well, one bright spot, I hope, you know, and, and I hope the momentum continues getting past this pandemic and, you know, all signs point towards that happening is that by the time next season rolls around, you know, and, and right now a lot of stadiums around the NBA are at full capacity and the United Center will be at full capacity and uh, might not be championship uh, basketball right off the bat, but at least it'll be loud at the United Center and that's something to look forward to. Yeah, this this city loves basketball. I mean, it. I miss those playoff games, watching this, this Knicks playoff scene just against the Hawks in game one and two, like Madison Square Garden is so hype. Like, it's fun to watch on TV. Like, I know, I know um, Chicago might not, quite be the iconic Madison Square Garden, but like it's a sensational atmosphere to watch big games, playoff games. Um, and the Bulls need to get back there next year for, for our entertainment value um, and also for, for their organizational progress. Absolutely. Hey, Cody, I appreciate this. You know, I love you uh, talking basketball with you all the time. Hope we can do it again sometime near future down the road. And again, I appreciate your time. Yep, anytime. Good catching up, Shu. All right, you take care. And we'll be back with another podcast next week.